So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Thank you. How do we learn how to organize? Um, how do we learn how to develop a set of demands that um, will actually transform conditions in our communities. I wrote a letter to Black people on Facebook saying that there was nothing wrong with us and we deserve dignity and respect. I came across Alicia's post hours later. I understood there's this thing called a hashtag and you can make something go viral. And then I put a hashtag in front of it saying Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Front and Center, a social justice podcast brought to you by the Center at Lincoln School in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm your host, Barrett Fabrice, director of the Center. This podcast touches upon issues close to home at Lincoln, but will also speak to larger social trends and narratives that often go unheard. Let's get going. So to talk about the intersection between Black Lives Matter and the hashtag MeToo movement, we're joined by the co-leaders of Lincoln Feminists, Lily and Ashley. Hello. Hi. Um, so before we get into the topic about the intersection between these two movements, um, I was wondering if either one of you could just give um, a quick overview of what Lincoln Feminists is as a group and um, some of the things you do here at Lincoln. Um, so Lincoln Feminists was formerly known as International Women's Day, and it started as a committee of students who would meet during lunch to organize the celebration that we had at Lincoln um, for International Women's Day. Since then, uh, Lily and I kind of came into the, it's it sort of transformed itself naturally into a conference day based on feminist issues. Um, so we thought it would be more fitting to t just change the name altogether to be more intersectional and talk about feminism mm -hmm. as a whole and have a conference day dedicated to that rather than a day celebrating women. Yeah. And throughout the year, we meet at lunch and just talk about various issues affecting um, involving feminism, intersectional feminism. So, yeah. Great. So I think so far within the first couple of minutes, we've said intersectional or intersectional feminism maybe three or four times. So can either one of you define what you believe or how you see intersectionalism um, as, a, as a construct, both within the movements and as an overall definition? Well, I think the term intersectional comes from the fact that us as humans are multidimensional, like as humans, we're not only this, we're also that. Like, so for me, I'm not only a girl, I'm also black. I'm also from the South Side of Providence. I'm also, like, I also like to listen to, like, R&B music. You know, like, I'm more than just one of my identifiers. So intersectionality is basically the idea of um, looking at movements, especially that deal with ident identifiers, um, like, finding the intersectionality or the, like, the... Just being multifaceted, I think, with tackling 
movements. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That was very well said. <laughs> I like that quote. I don't remember who said it, but it's like, we don't, we aren't one issue people, so we can't yeah. live one issue lives. Like, we can't just advocate for one issue. Yeah. Audre Lorde. Yeah. Audre Lorde. So, great. So, Ashley, you brought up something about, you know, you listen to R&B music, so... Just a, another question is, how do you look at m the marginalization of groups within intersectionality? So there's a difference between being a, a white woman navigating this world and a woman of color navigating this world. So how does the marginalization of groups kind of play into your definitions of, of intersectionality? Mm. My, like, the, the first thing that I think of, um, or that I thought of when you um, posed that question was, like, the really common statistic that people always bring up about, like, how women make this much um, compared to men in terms of, I think it's like 75 cents. But what's not talked about is how um, in like with women of color, the gap is even larger. And so um, you have to just be aware that not all women or like people that identify as women um, like have the same experiences in order to like adapt the movement so that it includes everybody. Yeah. Um, I think I brought up, like, my, like, love of R&B or whatever, uh, just to, like, know that there's a difference between identity and social location. Mm -hmm. So identity is, like, things that you identify with. So I could be, like, a avid hip-hop head or, like, have curly hair, like, but, like, and social location is kind of, like, all of those factors, like, how they base, like, place you in society. Like, where does that put you in society? So, like, just acknowledging the fact that you are privilege in some regards I think is intersectional and I think oftentimes like a lot of movements are very progressive but oftentimes a lot of people are left out of the like the mainstream movement so like even with like um I don't know like I just feel like like even in that question like there's trans women there's women mm -hmm. who aren't uh quote-unquote able-bodied like women who are queer like just like, and there's so many things that lie within that that also are so important and detrimental to the way people navigate their lives. That was a good segue. We'll get, and I'm, I know we're going to be getting into um, hashtag me too and how inclusive and progressive of a movement is it really in a, in a nutshell. But um, before we jump into that, these two movements, Black Lives Matter and hashtag me too, how do you see these movements, either one of you? Like, how, what do you think the purpose behind these movements uh, are? I don't know the specific history of Black Lives Matter. Me neither. Um, but I know it was formed by three queer women. Um, and I think, basically, it's just, like, within the name, like, Black Lives Matter. Like, they matter. And a lot of, uh, like, in society now, like, black bodies are often, like, portrayed in the media, like, either with death at the arms of police or, like... Object, like objectification of like black bodies and like slavery oftentimes when we see black people on screens they're often slaves or like maids or I don't know like the help or just like a body they're not really people and lives so black lives matter simply is just saying like black lives matter like they exist along with all all other lives like white lives matter um but we don't need to say white lives matter because we know that like they already matter but like I was listening to a podcast and they were like, would it make you guys feel better if we put Black Lives Matter too? Like, just, just like, just, I mean, we shouldn't because it should stand by itself. Like, Black Lives Matter, they exist. And they're not just bodies. They're, they're lives. They're people. Right. I think it's a good point that you said, like, 
should we have to put two at the end of it? Like the the statement "Black Lives Matter" does it need an explanatory comma? I don't think it does. I think that's bullshit. people just feel threatened by it. Like I think a lot of people think that by giving other people more rights, their rights are going to be taken away, which is not the point. Like yeah, it's not. Yeah. And I think um, it's just transformed itself more into like I mean at least like mainstream. It's um, against. It's like been uh, like the fight against uh, police brutality because it's been really prevalent at least in the last like five or so years. Hmm. Has it been more prevalent or has it just become more? I think with technology yeah. and like camera phones and iPhones, like now we see like now what people have been saying for since the beginning of like like there's like proof there's evidence. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate that you need that, but yeah. And hashtag Me Too. What do you think the purpose behind it is? For me, Me Too is like this reckoning in terms of sexual assault and um, like just systematically how it's been swept under the rug and um, how survivors. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really have a very good definition of it. Um, up until recently when I went to go see Tarana Burke talk about it. And she, yeah, the founder of the movement, um, which a lot of people don't know that she founded it like almost two decades ago. Um, And the way she defined it was a movement about empathy as well, Mm -hmm. because just that the statement of saying me too, it's like, um, you're not saying, I'm sorry that happened to you, which kind of puts a distance between people. You're saying like, like it happened to me too Mm -hmm. and without sharing any details um you're able to like connect with somebody um and yeah so it's I think it's empowering important Lily you mentioned that Toronto Burke started about two decades ago Mm -hmm. why do you think it's taken this long for me too now to become at the forefront not to like minimize what any of the actresses in Hollywood have gone through because of course, like any sort of sexual harassment or abuse is awful. But I do think that because a majority of the people speaking out in Hollywood are white and wealthy, and wealthy exactly, um, that's what's kind of driven the movement to the forefront of media. Because in reality, Toronto Burke's been doing work for so long and amazing activism and hasn't gotten any recognition. And even now, um, although the movement is widely published, publicized her involvement in it is not really well known um so unfortunately i think it did um it did take privileged people being affected by it to move it to the forefront do you think that there's do you think there's any uh correlation between how long it took for toronto burke and how essentially me too became this massive movement because of privileged white women and how black lives matter was started by you know three women and a lot of people have no idea that it was started by women. And do you think, is there any connection there between these two? I think oftentimes, um, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. I think, uh, like, oftentimes, black women are at the forefront of a lot of movements, mm-hmm. like the civil rights movement, even, like, suffrage, and, like, abolitionists. Um, but they're always willing to, like, put themselves on the back. I don't know how to... Like... I feel like they're they're usually they're started by black women and they're usually like the backbone of all social movements that we've had like since like slavery. Um, but they usually like as the movement gains like popularity and access, the message kind of gets corrupted. Not mm-hmm. corrupted, but like 
it transformed itself into something that it didn't originate as. Um, and I feel like, like the fact that both movements were started by black women um, shows that, I think that's just intersectional within itself. Like, right, like where there's more than just like sexual assault and there's more than just race. Like there are two, like, you know, I don't know how to explain. Like they're, they work hand in hand for some people because yeah. they're, they're people who are of genders that um, are sexually assaulted and also have race. You're right though. Like I can't think of any movement that wasn't started by black women. Yeah. At least any movement that I like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even I mean, even even we look at you know um, the Black Panther Party, right, and how women became the guiding voice in many ways behind that movement. But oftentimes, the men within the movement are put on a higher pedestal than the, mm-hmm. than the women. Yeah. Which I think you know that as Ashley said, this has gone on through history. So I think it's it's important, especially in Black History Month, but then also looking at the intersection between these movements that these social movements were in many ways started and led and given a voice by black women, but their marginalization was even continued within those movements that they started. So Lily, you bring up going back to Tarana Burke, um, the notion of empathy and her, she's a major part of it is, is being a survivor of sexual assault and rape. Um, one thing that I think is important to bring up is Roxane Gay, who has written a lot of different feminist um, pieces. Her, one of her last books is called Hunger. She spends a lot of time um, grasping with this notion of survivor versus victim. And one of the arguments that she says, she does not label herself as a survival, survivor. She labels herself as a victim mm-hmm. because she is a victim and continues to be a victim of the system, of the structures that are replaced within society. So despite surviving sexual assault um, and essentially overcoming it in a variety of different ways, she still, because of the current way we live within our society, is a victim of the structures that exist. Do you think either one of you, Ashley, Lily, that, you know, in regards to Black Lives Matter and Me Too, we can say survivor all the time, but at the same time, there's this notion that we are all, of all genders, of all identities, continue to be victims of a system that is at play. Yeah, I mean, I think her logic is sound. Like, I totally, I I definitely would agree that, like, everything is based on systems of oppression. But that being said, I, I think Tarana Burke was very insistent on using survivor instead of victim. And I think it was more in terms of, like, um, finding hope and finding a future. Because for a lot of people, like, well, it's just really hard to grapple with like being sexually abused being assaulted and um like for a lot of people it can be really debilitating so saying like I'm a survivor and like this happened to me but it's not gonna like ruin my whole life and I can move on I think it is empowering and um but I understand like yeah I'm I totally like that what Roxanne Gay said so I don't know. I think it would depend on the person. Mm-hmm. You can't tell people what they are. Yeah. But her logic, yeah, I get behind it. <laughs> I would like to hear them debate about it, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so Tarana Burke, during her, her last speech here at Brown University down the street from Lincoln, talked about how Harvey Weinstein does not exist in a vacuum. So 
last question that I have for the two of you is where do you see these two movements going? Um, because Harvey Weinstein, even though he necessarily isn't a target of Black Lives Matter, um, the notions of power and privilege and patriarchy, I think, fit quite um, clear in correlation between him and, and some of the notions of, of Black Lives Matter and Me Too. So where do you see these two movements going, either in general, um, for you, in terms of your generation, um, for either movements, where do you think this is going to lead us to? It's hard not to sound um, hopeless. I want to say, like, revolution. Like, I'm a pacifist and all that, and, like, I don't believe in war or weapons. But just based on history, that the only way to actually change oppressive systems and, like, shift power is maybe not an armed revolution, but certainly some sort of revolution. And I think Black Lives Matter, Me Too, they're already revolutions. I think it's hard, um, like, with each movement, like, mass movement, um, oftentimes, like, the, the intentions start out really well. So just ensuring that, like, as time goes on, that the, the message doesn't become corrupted or, like... But I still think that the fact that the revolution happened is a good thing because, like, I think that any change is better than just, you know, staying with the same thing. So on that note, uh, Lily and Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. And Ashley, this is your second podcast, so I don't have to say I hope you come back because I expect the both of you to let your voice be heard at another time. So thanks again so much. Thank you. Thank you. you.